Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and as always, I am honored to have you joining me, truly. I have one announcement today, and then we'll get right to the interview with the heartfelt and fierce C.J. Miller. If you're listening to this in real time, uh, on Tuesday, January 14th, from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I will be hosting a workshop with Ilya Parker, a former podcast guest of Decolonizing Fitness. And there are recordings available to purchase of the workshop if you can't make it live. And those will be available until February 1st. So I am going to tell you a little bit about the workshop. The workshop is an opportunity to explore all the nuances of the provocation. What is healthy movement and how do we fall back into our bodies from the perspective of Ilya and myself? So Ilya, as a black, non-binary, transmasculine person in a larger body with chronic injuries, is someone who works as a physical therapist assistant and personal trainer. In the workshop, Ilya will speak to the ways they felt pressure to medically transition and modify their body through exercise to align with a cis-masculine presentation, leading to many injuries. Ilya will also discuss the ways they incorporate pleasure and purposeful movement in ways that feel supportive. I will talk a bit about the way in which chronic illness has impacted my relationship to movement and nourishment. And we will have an opportunity, attendees will have the opportunity to ask questions to Ilya, who is just a tremendously heartfelt, intelligent, amazing critic, actually, of um, wellness culture. And Billy is just the best, truly. He's amazing. And I'm inspired by the work that he does. And I'm honored that he wants to do this uh, workshop with me. So if you haven't already registered, you can go to my website, www.livinginthisqueerbody.com. And there's a link to register, and you have until February 1st if you want to purchase the recording. Um, I really hope you join us. And speaking of um, all things gender, complicated, fierce, heartfelt, we are so blessed to have C.J. Miller on the episode today. In the episode, CJ and I speak about her movement towards the dance and movement practice as a pony sweat instructor. You'll learn all about pony sweat when you uh, listen to the podcast. Inhabiting her body as an intersex and trans person, her relationship to empowered feminists, and her identification as a leopard girl, amongst other things. So C.J. Miller is a dancer, poet, illustrator, and musician. Currently, she is the front woman for agitprop Clueless soundtrack, 
worshiping riot girl band Dimber and plays bass for queer anarcho death rock band Remorseless. She's an instructor for Pony Sweat, a fiercely non-competitive body positive dance aerobics thing in LA and it's really cool and I am curious if anyone wants to bring some of it to New York. I know they travel around at times um, and it's just a really amazing thing. Her most recent poetry collection, Lipstick Volume 1, a diary and emotional outpouring of intersex trans femme history and experience was released via Arts and Crafts Printing and Distro. She has contributed interviews, reviews, and opinion pieces, most recently to Razor Cake Magazine, Maximum Rock and Roll, and New Noise Magazine. CJ is also co-founder and organizer for Presence, an all-ages queer, trans, ENBY, GNC, intersex community and artist-focus event based out of Northeast Los Angeles. And you can find out lots of things, all things, CJ, um, on Instagram at SpookyMiller underscore. And all the links will be in the show notes. CJ also has a really powerful self-portrait project that she is offering um, for print on t-shirts. I will post the image in my newsletter and on Instagram. And the shirts are available to trans and ENBY folks for free. CJ's intention is to encourage acceptance and empower love for trans bodies outside the current model, which presses folks towards surgery and alterations of our bodies to conform to oppressive binary gender standards. In order to cover the costs of this project, CJ is asking cisgender people to donate $20 to $40 or any amount. Um, and you can Venmo uh, her at Dimber, D-I-M-B-E-R, CJ Miller. And I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a really beautiful exchange that she's setting up. So I hope you consider um, a donation. And now on to the show. CJ, thank you for joining me today. It's really cool to have you here. Thanks. Um, it's nice to be here. Cool. So I guess, as you know, um, I like to start each each episode with a question. Um, and you can kind of go wherever this takes you. It can take you and other people a lot of different places. But, you know, when you think about your earliest memories of realizing or learning about having a body what what comes to mind for you it's something that like i've thought about previously um like even prior to my experience of meeting you and interacting in this capacity but um because i have a lot of kind of like early really not so much like really cohesive concrete um connection mm -hmm. with that but um things that feel really profound um and like sort of, I don't know if this is something that just happens with um, like the progression of memory, but they feel very like dreamlike in the way that they um, kind of like exist in the space of my body. And which is 
also really interesting because of like the sensation of dreams, I think, which to me, um, like a lot of people dismiss like dreams are boring or whatever, but I, I think that they're really pretty fascinating because so much of like our memory is, um, experiential and like based on like our brains processing things. So to me, like a dream is that process, like just sort of in a different capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of like, to me, I think, so, so my connection with my dreams is like almost as if they're things that have happened to me because yeah. I still live through them in the same way in terms of like trauma and joy and all of, and like I have a like deep memory connection to like a lot of profound dream experience that I've had. And mm -hmm. so like, I don't feel me personally, like I put a lot of stock in that and I don't like to dismiss them as just like, I don't know, insubstantial or whatever. So mm -hmm. that is to say a lot of my like early memories feel like very dreamlike um, in the way that the sensations like sort of play out in me, like trying to grow back through them and stuff. Yeah. So um, I have like my earliest, earliest connection um, is really, um, it's very um, like, like scent centric, mm -hmm. which um, is something that is also, as I've gotten older, um, is something that I'm, I found myself being, um, really connected to scent as like a profound experience in my life. Um, and I've, I've like kind of brought it into like my developing identity where like I identify as like a leopard girl. It's like, uh, um, it's what's well, like, um, G R R L whatever, when I use it, um, it's, uh, which is like a playful thing that involves a lot of aspects of my identity. And a lot of my art lately has been involving that. Mm. We can talk more about that, but as part of that, um, where I'm connecting this is that I have a lot of powerful like scent connection with things that are happening now in my life that seems to have at least I like to talk more about it than it seems like most of my friends do. So my my guess is that maybe it is like it feels like it is more um, of a connective way for me than perhaps it is for other people, mm -hmm. or they're just not as comfortable talking about that sense experience. Um, so when I was really really small. I have a really profound experience of being um, like seemingly like also maybe because I was like a small body. Uh, it feels like all of these plants were like above me. And it was like um, what we commonly know in California as nasturtium, which is like um, tropeolum magis, not like nasturtium watercress. It's that trailing plant that has the big round leaves and the like green leaves and then the orange red flowers. I don't know if they have them where, where you're at, it's, I think like South American in mm -hmm. origin, but we have a ton of it in California here. Um, and that's like in central California where I was about like five or six is where I have this association mm. of like being in seemingly like a forest of this plant that was like towering over me. I remember like light passing through, um, the thin green leaves and this smell like, totally enveloping me like in this really intoxicating joyful way this like peppery dank incredible smell and like being so like just taken with it I wanted to just like rub my head in like all this and and being so overwhelmed with what this like sensation could do for my body so that feels like really um, like since it's a very profound like sense thing, mm -hmm. that's like my earliest connection to having a body is just like being in this forest of nasturtium and like 
just like reveling in mm-hmm. of it and how powerful that was. And maybe that like set a precedent, even perhaps like for how much these things like impact me in my life. That mm. um, wise, I don't know, but like definitely, I think because that was such a profound experience for me and like this like sensual experience, mm-hmm. um, I guess that feels like an early body determination thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like a- around the same time, I have a lot of like medical history trauma stuff mm-hmm. that I also connect um, to as like early memory stuff. But I feel like the, um, the sense smell thing with these flowers um, was perhaps like an, like the earliest Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's really interesting to hear about how, how you were able to, well, how you appreciated or kind of give, gave yourself over to this experience. You know, I'm just like picturing you really open to being like surrounded by plants that were, you know, smelling delicious and, and, I think that's a very, you know, like in some ways it's a very con- conventional trope of like childhood, you know, like laying in a field of flowers. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I think that that's actually maybe not actually what always happens. And the interesting thing is, is that you remember it so well, you know, and that it's still, con- it's, it sounds like, you know, you've kind of drawn a connection between that part of you that really appreciated sense and being enveloped by something and sensual, um, to kind of your identity now, like those two things are really, there's like a through line there. Totally. And like, I don't know if like only those threads have like been, um, like sort of pulled out and like examined more like in, and lately as I've like sort of like come into more of an understanding of my body for Mm -hmm. sure. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, also, I'm, I think like it's definitely a lot of that experience, like, and perhaps there was even like things that were antecedent to that also, but like, um, I have like such a deep connection with plants and like having, um, communion connection with them as well. So there's like all sorts of things that like sort of really expand and resonate in that central experience of that for me that I've, I think about like, not all the time to not in an exaggeration, um, capacity, but like often for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 yeah you're right it is really funny that it's like such a like kind of cute little trope of like I'm a child and I'm like laying in this field of flowers but like I don't know that's like really it was such a like and it was like a mystery to it that like felt really powerful um like explore exploratory in in a way um because like I don't remember being with anyone else yeah and like a single mom and like sisters basically raising me um, I was left a lot to my own devices. So I feel like in this experience, it's like, I wasn't with friends. I wasn't with, I was like in my, in the mind's eye, I was just like alone in this like bewildering forest. And like, but being so like feeling really safe. Safe. Yeah. 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 Which is, feels really good also since like, I have also these early determinations of like medical history stuff. Um, that I associate to like, um, there was like just some particularly traumatic stuff that I don't really feel comfortable delving into, but, um, in retrospect, I've like, uh, connected a lot of it to like my experience as like an intersex individual. Um, and like, cause I have a lot of these feelings of like feeling experimented on, Mm -hmm. um, in a way that like are really kind of more like with a 
sheet thrown over them where I can kind of see it, but like it's obscured a little bit for me, which is like, you know, as our body like protects ourselves from, from trauma, I think that's probably related to it. Mm -hmm. But like these little glimpses of like seeing myself reflected off of like medical instruments and stuff that were being used on me. Um, and that like is also an association. So it's nice to have something that feels a little bit like safer mm-hmm. uh, as like an in, information thing. Cause like um, it's sad, but I think it's like a true reality of our current state that like for intersex people and for trans people, a lot of like our um, childhood is like rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I certainly have my fair share of experience of that, but it's also nice to have this um, and this really like animal connection is also really important for me because it's something that I'm constantly striving to get back to is like trying to live as an animal and not so much as like this human construction that we have Mm. Um, which to me I feel like is like there's a lot of of powerful things that that we've done but there's also like us sort of like escaping from that identity of being like animals and like dissociating from the rest of the world I don't like particularly want to throw myself with that law of, of thinking, but, um, so like animal connection, creature self stuff is really important to me also. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have, a, um, like a memory with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about this, like kind of leopard girl <laughs> feline, you know, like kind of identity that you're, you are explore have been exploring or how you connect with all of that? Yeah, I'm not sure like when it became more of like a cohesive um, thing, but like lately I've like been analyzing a lot. As I said, like I've been doing a lot of like self-portrait illustration work Mm. that's connected to it. And like a lot of my poetry um, has been connected to this identity. And it's like, there's a lot of like facets to it. Um, And yeah, I'm definitely comfortable talking about it, which is that like, I think like foremost, it's really um, like a form of play and like pretend um, and playfulness. That is something that I try to practice um, a lot through dance practice, through like a lot of practice in my life, because it feels really um, like valuable healing work in terms of connection with my body um, and like inner child stuff. And like also relating back to this like animal state of being, um, and like working through like shame and embarrassment, all these things that come up Mm -hmm. that like play is a really like, for me, a powerful, like Mm -hmm. isive tool in which I can like cut through all this shame and like embarrassment and like play and like dance in the line at the grocery store as I'm like shopping, like things that like feel really powerful when like there's all these social constructions to like make us feel shame for that. So this idea of like, I'm a, like, I'm a like leopard hybrid, like humanoid creature is like, there's a lot of play in that. And a lot Mm -hmm. of like humor that can be used also. Um, And for me, it also is like a sort of really powerful reclamation of space um, Mm -hmm. in a society where like, as a, as a trans person, as an intersex person, um, like I'm othered all the time. And so um, in the same way that like our community, speaking of like queer community, we've retaken language, right? In like a way to like empower ourselves, like retaking dyke, retaking faggot, using these as like self-identifiers and being like, yeah, I am this thing, but I'm fucking proud of it. Yeah. Um, 
I see a correlation to um, me taking this thing and being like, cool, you want to treat me like I'm not even human? Great. I'm not. I'm this thing that like you have no power over. You have no understanding of like what I am and my understanding. I come from a culture that you, you know, Um, so it's this kind of construction of like taking this thing. And through that lens, it's a really fun way to like explore with my art of like, cool, you're going to other me to the point of like this extreme, then like, I'm going to take it and run with it Mm -hmm. kind of as um, a lot of like power. And like, again, like also I think like a lot of queer people, we like can like try to diffuse like oppression and trauma with like humor. And so it's related to that as well. Um, I also just like feel of that way in my body a lot, like my movement base, like kind of like, um, like what's the word I want to use here? Maybe you, because of your, um, your professional experience, like how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, is there like a word for that? Yeah. Like your self-concept or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Like a self-concept thing that feels really, um, like empowering for me in a way mm. to move beyond like traditional beauty standards and stuff like that yeah. um, to like view myself in that sort of way that feels really like powerful and like sexy and like yeah. femme, femme, but like very empowered. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, yeah, just like a, a connection with body in that way that feels really nice. Um, and it's like kind of poured over into like a lot of like, sort of like fun, like kink play, BDSM yeah. stuff that I have, which is also like feels really playful in that same way, kind of um, as like fun, sort of like imaginative activities and stuff. So there's that connection. Um, and then I've just like had funny things come into my life that have like affirmed that. Not so much funny, just interesting synchronicities. Hmm. Um, I have a friend who's an, um, an osteopath who does a lot of work um, on me and helps me a lot. And, uh, she has like made like funny cute offhand comments, like not even knowing so much about my personality and this like leopard identification, but being like, CJ, like, I don't know, like your feet look different. Like, I don't even think like you have human feet. These are like weird cat feet. (laughs) She didn't say weird. She's like really careful and thoughtful with her language. But I was like, Oh, well actually Andrea, like, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, And then like in a lot of like um, past life, like um, guided meditation stuff, I've connected with a lot of like big cat Mm. stuff. And then I had like another healer person talk to me about that I had some recurrent trauma involving my leg and was like this association to this like cat being that had hurt her leg Mm. and like suffered like a traumatic injury from it and stuff. And so there's just like all sorts of ways in which it's like kind of poured back in on itself. Mm. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I've always like felt really like compelled and connected to like big cat animals and like, just like, I mean, aesthetically they're like beautiful to like draw Mm. the patterns on their skin. It's like a lot of like interesting things to explore that all just like resonates for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's like continually very generative for you. Like there, like there's sort of, it connects to a lot of different aspects of both how you see yourself, but how you position yourself in the world. And, you know, I know 
I'd love to talk a little bit more about movement because I know that like, you know, that's a big part of, of your life and your professional life. And, and just thinking about how this, this kind of, um, like identification sort of plays out in movement as well. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny, it's like all these things sort of like were no doubt gestating in my body for a really, really long time. Um, but like in the course of me, like as so many, like, well, not so many, but like there is a narrative for, um, some trans people, which is like my narrative as well in that, like I came out as like queer at like a much younger age and then like had this like additional coming out, like in terms of like, um, feeling comfortable. And again, like excising all this shame from myself to like come out as trans and then to like be like discover like my intersex identity and all of that and like working through that and then like sometimes I reference this in my poetry that I'm like oh okay so here's this like third coming out now where like I've written about like oh like I'm a werewolf and like this will be my third coming out and like but I'm afraid of this because this narrative also has all this like tragedy associated to it and like in the same way like then like once I could like inhabit my body you know like a truer more direct way um with this like coming out as like um intersex and trans then like my body then like sort of like took off in a lot of ways also um and at that same time is when i came into like um like a, a back to another connection with dance practice and um in this dance movement practice i felt like very like awkward and uncomfortable in the beginning times of it and then like as i've come into more of myself like I've seen myself like grow and be able to connect with my body in that way and so at, right at that same time was also when I really started to like focus in on like these aspects of my identity and like play with this like cat sense also in connection with it so both things coming in and being used as like a tool of empowerment mm-hmm mm-hmm what is your what is your movement practice? Just so oh, folks a little yeah. bit about it. I am involved with a um, dance program. Like most, the thing I devote most of my time to in terms in terms of movement practice, I do do um, other things beyond this. But like my dear heart and love um, is with Pony Sweat, which is um, is this fiercely non competitive dance aerobics practice that focuses on a lot of like radical body acceptance work. And it was created and founded by my found family sister, Amelia Richardson. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's rooted in like, it's like a choreographed dance class, but it's rooted in these really heavily politicized ideas um, of like reclamation of space. Mm -hmm. um, and creating a space where um, like all bodies are valued and these hierarchies of like beauty standards and like beauty connected to like the value of movement, which is right. like in dance practice is like super loaded movement right. spaces are like, you know, we see it everywhere, but there's like a very specific genre of oppressive mm -hmm. like body stuff that happens in movement space um, of like trying to create a space um, where people feel more comfortable exploring their bodies in a way that feels like central to themselves as an individual without these additional like 
heavy standards of like what a body's supposed to move like, what a body's supposed to look like. Um, and it's really just a, a practice, you know, because it's all of us as just one body against a whole flux of oppressive information. It's like a really difficult thing to access um, and is still really difficult for me to access. And so I came into the program as a student first. Um, and it was right when I was like, I had come out to like some close friends, some close like found family um, and was like, just making steps to like publicly like at, at my profession and like at my other jobs, like I'm being um, like demanding use of pronouns and like all these things and like really coming out. And then right then was when then like I found this class and it was through um, a friend of mine who I think recognized that I was suffering some really like um, deep depression mm. and having like a lot of like really heavy body issues um, that were really, um, stifling a lot of me and, uh, like brought this up because, um, my friend knew that I had had dance experience, um, and also had like found a lot of like joy and power in this class and was like, CJ, I think maybe this is like something you would want to explore. Um, and then it was like this funny, beautiful synchronicity of that. Just like a few months prior, I had just met Amelia at this like magical meeting at a friend's wedding out in the woods. And we had really connected there. And then my friend Lauren like bestowed this gift of like this class upon me. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's that person that like I met and felt so connected with. And then through that process of just coming as a student, Amelia and I discovered that we were like long lost litter mates that were separated at birth at some point. And, um, and yeah, it was a really, it was a really vulnerable space to go, um, into and really open myself up in there. But, um, mm -hmm. I very quickly like discovered that this was like a really, um, as safe of a space as I was likely to find to like reconnect with dance in a way, um, of inhabiting my body in like a way that like I had been shamed for, for so long. Mm -hmm. um, of these very like particularly like femme movements that were so like built into me and like I don't know where these like inclinations of movement come from like that we see in people um, like I don't think it necessarily matters whether it's environmental or genetic but like definitely it's like both because we see like siblings having similar mannerisms and things like that I had a lot of stuff that was um that was like forcibly repressed in me in terms of like having like really high femme movement mm -hmm. stuff. And then also as like, I'm a very tall femme person. I had a lot of like trauma in terms of um, like taking up space, like literally physically taking up space. Um, and like um, Amelia saw something in me and really, um, like as I was a student, we really were connecting. And I remember very specifically her being like, sis, like you, I don't know how she said it exactly, but it was basically to the effect of like, you never extend your arms to the point of like, as far as you could. Um, she saw me like curtailing every movement and like being literally afraid to be like in my body and to like be tall, to be big. Um, and we processed and unpacked that a lot. 
And she was like, that's something I really, if you can, like, I would love to see you focus on at like opening up my, my arm span and my leg span and taking up space in that way. Um, and all sorts of these things just sort of like began to connect. And I really was like confronting a lot of ways, like, Oh, how have I been stifling other things in my, in my body? Um, there's this such a gift that happened for me when I finally came out of, um, and like inhabiting like a trans intersex body so openly and publicly where I was like, what the fuck else in my life have I been hiding and shaming? And it was like a new refreshed lens with which to like examine all of my behavior in my life, my language, all of these things that I had, like, what have I internalized? Like what aspects of this, like disgusting white supremacist colonial like awful cis heteronormative society have I like been putting into my body and it's so much work to like work through all that stuff but I was like I'm so here for this and like obviously everyone needs to go at their own pace because like a lot of trauma comes out of these explorations of our bodies and like why we hate ourselves why we hate other people but it was really special for me to find this dance practice with which to explore that um, and I feel so lucky and so um, recognize so much privilege in that of like having this space that feels like, you know, we talk about in class that like um, don't necessarily think like safe spaces exist is like a thing that's part of our rhetoric in, in the class. Um, because once you're just like, this is a safe space, it sort of um, puts the emphasis on the space itself to be safe and like, no four walls are going to like do anything to provide any sort of like emotional or like psychological safety. Like they may physically like protect us from the elements and stuff. And there needs to be like recognition of like what shelter provides for people as far as like safety, but like the safe space as we determine it of like protecting each other really needs to be on the people that come into the space, the people facilitating the space, the participants, like if it's a performer, the performer and the audience, like there needs to be this conversation about it. And so we say that like what we can do is like cultivate a safer space. But a big part of that is like recognizing that we are all bodies in a room together. And like each one of these bodies is provided different access and privilege and each body is denied access in different ways. And right. so like that's an important conversation, I think that um really needs to extend to like every space we enter because it like brings up ideas of consent and all sorts of stuff that are really important um but it was really amazing for me to find a dance space where this was being actively discussed mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, and then yeah so at some point um amelia i like saw something in me and asked to have a meeting with me and i thought i was in trouble because just what i think about anytime anyone's like cj can i talk to you I have like catastrophist brain where I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, shit, what did I do? Oh my gosh. But then, um, yeah, she took me to coffee and asked me to be um, like an instructor. And at that point it had only been her. It was a very like DIY operation that she um, built herself and um, asked me to be another instructor. And I agreed and we cried and processed a lot. And now um, it's become a pretty like very, very important part of my life. Um, as like an instructor and being a part of this um, program and this practice that I think is like really, really special. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing to hear about that, especially just as someone, I mean, 
when you and I were talking earlier, talking about like quote unquote healing or wellness spaces, not being, not only not being inclusive, but not being, you know, attentive to the nuance of what, you know, bodies that have held trauma, bodies that experience trauma on a daily basis, you know, like what, what the needs are, you know, and it sounds like this, this practice really for you at least, you know, was able to kind of get at some of those nuances of like what you need, what you needed in order to feel safe, you know, um, safer. Um, and, and I think like the multiple forms of recognition that happened, the ways in which you were seen that you didn't even realize you needed to be seen, like all of those things are kind of factors that really constitute, I think, kind of safer or more healing spaces. And yet they're, they're so rare to find for queer and trans and folks. And, and so it's, it's really beautiful to hear about this. How, how, I guess I'm curious, like how it feels now to be in, you know, kind of a leadership role in some ways um, and taking you know, as, as like, for me, I'm, you know, as a psychotherapist and someone who facilitates groups, there's a kind of a level of responsibility that, um, comes along with, with that, that is different from being a participant, you know, like I have, I have a therapist, like I'm grateful (laughs) for her and yet being a therapist is different. And so I'm just wondering what that transition has been like for you. Yeah. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, that's a really, um, interesting question that, um, it's been like a pretty, pretty profound thing. Um, it's been, uh, really, uh, a challenge for me to inhabit. Um, and like, I associate a lot of this to like my Leo moon in that, like, um, stepping into like confidence and recognition of like confidence being like very different from like egotism and narcissism like, um, being in a position of like, uh, being like self-important to a point of like damaging other folks has been like such, um, like, it's been like such a stifling, scary thing for me that it made me make myself small in so many capacities of my life and really downplay things. And like, I think a lot of that is related to like external, like social oppression stuff of like femphobia and like, homophobia, transphobia, all that stuff. Um, but I think it also, there's a lot of it that's like individualistic related to me. Um, and, and part of this process of like unpacking again and relating back to like what things am I internalizing? How am I acting that are not ways that feel true to myself? Part of that was, um, recognizing that like I have a lot of confidence issues. Um, and that like, um, it was important for me as like a healer um, and like being called to a leadership position in a lot of capacities in my life. I'm a front person for a band that's like a heavily politicized band where I speak a lot and like practice a lot of radical vulnerability with the band. There's a lot of ways in my life in which that felt like, I'm like, why am I doing these things to myself? Like, I guess I truly am a masochist if like, I'm afraid of like stepping into like a confidence place. And then I'm like throwing myself into like being a front person for like a like local political punk band. Um, but I was like, okay, this is just, this is just what, like, this is what goddess is like provided for me right now. I need to like, I need to step into these things and challenge these things in myself. And so that part of Pony Sweat was also like heavily challenging and still to this 
day, like we have, um, and like, I, I, f I think it's a really important part of the practice is that we have like, um, sort of like a bookend framing that happens at class, mm. um, where we like speak in the beginning and introduce the class, um, give our pronouns, like really acknowledge like what the space is there for. It's really, I feel like really important in terms of like, because dance spaces, especially like I could say to my experience in Los Angeles are like really toxic, a lot of movement practice. Mm -hmm. um, even me having like a dance background and going into places like feeling like totally, totally othered mm -hmm. and like not accepted, if not outright like vilified um, as like a trans person and like a queer freak person also like being like, this is not that space and like really assigning it. We also like joke that we're like, a lot of people talk about us in like a fitness capacity and we're like, well, we're, we're fitness adjacent. <laughs> like is the, is the joke of pony sweat because fitness is such a like fucking gross yeah. term as well. Because again, it's like this determination of like, what is a fit body? Right. And like, that's so much stuff. I'm sure yeah. you, yeah, you can see all of the, um, the correlation there. So that's like a really important part is this like speaking process to the class. Then we like do the class. There's like a short break um, where we sort of like gather ourselves and process like what has happened. Then there's like an end framing. And then we sort of like do some like additional, like generally like some floor work stuff. And then like um, a space of time to be like still and like sit with ourselves in like silence and be bored. Well, not necessarily silence because we play like this mortal coil and stuff or whatever, but <laughs> during that portion, but like, um, it's a, it's a space for like reflection and some softness and some like soft power and some stillness there. But the, the, these like speaking portions of the class are still the thing that like I have the most anxiety and challenge with is just like getting up in front of a group of people and yeah. being like really vulnerable and talk about these things. But it's really important. And like, the way the class is constructed, a lot of the songs like speak to ideological messages or like a theme of the month. So it's like a good time to like express that like there's additional levels of things that are being communicated there that people can like get from it what they need. And that's an important thing to frame also is that this space is here for people to get what they need out of it. It's not for me to impress my values on anyone. It's just for you to come in and connect with your body in a way that feels good for you. If you want to work through like the ways in which we've internalized fat phobia and like, and like hetero um, homophobia and like heteronormative ideas, like that's available. But we also like want to say that like, it's also a space for you to just come and get your heart rate up and like connect with your body in a way. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of like, sort of like heavier discourse that gets brought up in the, in these sections. And that's still makes me feel so nervous getting up there and doing it. Some days I'm like much more like my little like cheerleader self and, yeah. it's fun and I get really excited about it. And there's other times like I feel like shudders going through my body and feel like these like little like waves of nausea of like being so nervous to like get up there. And I think a lot of it, yeah, is related to the ways in which it's been hard for me to take up space mm -hmm. um, as like an outspoken, like gender nonconforming person, you know, um, and inhabit that space and be really big. Um, so like that centering of me as like a leader in this position is like, I'm really happy about it. And like, I've really, I think like stepped into it in a way that feels really like really good. Um, and I do recognize that like, it feels like there's a lot of like valuable work being done through like feedback I've heard, but also just like, I can see it in myself for sure, which is like most important. 
Um, but that definitely has been like a real challenge for me. Yeah. Incredibly confronting for you. And and I imagine, you know, incredibly confronting for the the people who show up for the class in all different ways, as you said, you know, I mean, there's all different ways that that, that in, like inviting people to unlearn or yeah, like untangle, you know, expectations around wellness or fitness or, you know, acceptability, body acceptability. And particularly, I mean, like, you know, it's not it sounds like it's not an explicitly queer space, but it's a space where probably there's a lot of, you know, just like in a lot of queer spaces, there's a lot of like, you know, checking people's bodies out and like watching bodies and observing bodies. And I just wonder, you know, I mean, I think that that that's also really can be really intimidating for people in movements in any kind of movement space. Um, For sure. Yeah. Let alone being like confronted with like a wall of mirrors while you're doing like really vulnerable work to like, you know, and part of this thing that's so special about it is like um, our connection through music. And like, it's really, I love hearing my sister talk about this stuff um, and like the ways in which we connect with these songs that like sometimes are like songs that are like deeply rooted in like our childhood and like bedroom dancing stuff, or they're like newer artists that are like really speaking a message that like we really, really connect with. But like music is so powerful. And so, and like moving in your body in this way is such like a, like it's fucking magic, the ways in which like our body just wants to do things to these like sound vibrations that are happening to us is incredible. Like there's literally just like, a synthesizer can like make me want to cry, you know, and bring out these feelings in me with like no words and no like connection to like that language, this other language that our bodies know way better than our brains know, um, is this thing. And so like learning to like trust your body in that way and just like go with it is like such a, like such a powerful experience. And like, Mm. that's another thing that makes this practice like, so, and to go back to this like leadership position that feels so good is like, um, having my sister, Amelia, and then now we've brought on like another instructor, um, a dear friend of ours, Jaquita Tale, um, who's like an incredible, incredible human being as well. Like having these two femmes that like I trust with like my everything and being able to like discuss and like work through these ideas and talk about things that are challenging and like, how do we improve this practice? How do we make it more accessible for people what are the challenges that we face like what is the language we want to use having people that like I trust so much to like work through this and like my sister's vision for like what she wants this to be and like what she has in mind and the things that like she creates um and like these like love letters of playlists that she makes and stuff and like how we connect over music and stuff is so so special and like definitely has helped me like step into this position, having people that I trust to like buttress me and to like build me up and like help me be big and for us to help each other all just like be bigger, um, is, is amazing. And like Mm -hmm. something that like is super, super valuable to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been really interesting as like this person being like my sister, like in this like amazing, like profound found family way, and being like my best friend, but then also like our like dynamic of like 
working in this like professional capacity also Mm -hmm. and being able to like, we have to compartmentalize a lot of stuff. And so it's like, it's a really good practice that I'm sure like in your therapy work is something that you come across also in -hmm. terms of like not allowing these things to like sort of like they can like help each other out, but it's really important to like separate them. Mm -hmm. So like just in a professional capacity, I'm like, so so grateful to have these people in my life that are like so inspiring so wonderful so it really helps me too mm-hmm. to like be my biggest self mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I still have a ton of work to do on it as we all do con- consistently but well, I guess that's why it's yeah it's a practice it's not yeah. like there's no, no achievement really it's like just practicing it's practicing yeah. what comes up when yeah like all yeah so and the value of practice is like something that is something I've been thinking a lot more about lately and I think is really important for a lot of people to like focus on because so much like value in like our sort of mainstream conception of culture. And when I talk about this, I'm like not like universally saying this. I'm just saying like the society I exist in, which is like colonizer United States is what I'm talking about. Like there's so much value placed on like tangible material achievement of like these things that you've done there's a lot of that burden placed on me and like I really am trying to like stay really present in like the value of just the practice of creation with no with not like oh I need to get to this end goal I need to have this like published work that I can like show people that I've done and be like I'm making this poetry because it's like essential to like me working through some stuff and like connecting with things in like a way that like is a retaking of language or like totally throwing out the rules of language altogether and really just like pouring myself into like the practice Mm -hmm. and like pony sweat is like really amazing in that it really focuses a lot on like just practice and like that's all we're there to do like we're just there to practice because there's so much so much value in just practicing things Mm -hmm. and inhabiting the space of like creation in that way with no particular end goal mm-hmm. you know it is important like to have goals and recognize those things for sure also but I think the like yeah. general accepted like impressed on us accepted way of being is that like we create things so that we have things right and that's related to capitalism mm-hmm. and so much like materialism of like you're only successful if you have these like check marks of things. You can be like, I made this, I did this thing. And they're always physical things. And we don't ever talk about, well, not ever, but it's less discussed. Like the, the value of just the process of making and doing. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's interesting just to hear you talk about that because one of the questions I do have for you is sort of like, what else, you know, how can people find out about what you do? And so I want to make sure I'm framing that as like, you know, not like what, what are the outcomes of, you know what I mean? Like, what are the products that people can buy? But I do want to hear, like, I want people to be able to hear about, you know, cause we haven't been able to talk about everything that you're involved in at all. And so, you know, how can people sort of find out about the multiplicity of things that you're practicing and working on? Oh, thanks, Asher. Yeah. And I don't want to downplay that. Like it is like cool to be proud. Of course, of course. Yeah. For sure. I just think like it's important to like focus on like that's not like the sole determination of value and like how do we determine value for ourselves beyond like 
financial success, heteronormative, like white picket fence, like family and kids success, like just questioning those aspects and stuff. And so I think like, I just don't see a lot of discourse on like, um, like creation of process being like also kind of a toxic thing that like puts this like unfair expectation on a lot of people and denies that like a lot of people are like, don't have access to things that would allow them to do things or to like have, um, you know, an art practice that has these things or whatever. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And particularly, and I want to get to your answer, but like particularly I think for like queer trans non-binary folks to, who, who a maybe don't have access to certain, you know, avenues for outcome-based like success, but also who may feel added pressure to overcompensate for like difference or strangeness or weirdness and, you know, like get swooped up into like achievement culture, you know, in this like heteronormative way. I think that that's also something that it seems like you're kind of challenging, but also aware of in, in how you're talking about your own work, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, totally. Um, achievement based, that's a really good way to like distill it. Um, that feels really, um, like concise and accurate. Um, these like, yeah, these like trophies of achievement that are like tangible things we can hold, Mm -hmm. um, denying also the fact that like, um, it feels like really gatekeepy in like the way that like denying that like experience is like a really valuable thing for like people. And that like, if you don't have a certification in a certain practice that maybe your opinion isn't as like, um, valid or important denying the fact that like lived experience can be like such an amazing thing. Um, one of my coworkers, who's like beautiful trans femme person also was talking to me and I was kind of like, I don't know, I was doing this thing that sometimes I do where, um, like I was downplaying like the value of what I was saying because of like not being like a trained, like having like therapist certification in this capacity of we were like unpacking some trauma shit. And she was like, baby, I want you to like stop and just like recognize that like, lived experience like is mm-hmm. you know at, le- at least as valuable in some circumstances if not more so mm-hmm. um and I was like oh thank thank you like it's important like I find myself even like falling into that narrative so easily because it's like yeah. just flipped there yeah well what was, what was our question again what do you what do you do what what, what do I do find, how can people find out about all the things that you do well, people can find out about like Pony Sweat um, through like um, our our website, um, which is like PonySweatAerobics.com. But um, we have like an Instagram that like as much as like disgusting and like I hate Instagram for so many reasons. Um, it is like provides a lot of like um, visual connection to the stuff. And we write a lot about the language of the class and like things in there. It's like a, a tool to like explore that. Um, I have my own personal um, Instagram, which is... Uh, spooky Miller and the underscore at the end. And um, like, I post a lot of my poetry on there. Um, there's a lot of like exploration of art there that I think is like, I've found myself getting into a practice of and trying to use that platform and like, um, not trying to like sell things, but like, um, almost like a presentation of like public art, mm-hmm. kind of like, as we lose so much like public space, it feels like it's an, it's an, an avenue and asterisks. I wish like a 
if there's anyone who's listening to this, who's like a tech person, I would love to see someone create like an alternative platform to Instagram that is like run by people that are not like terrible monsters. Um, cause it seems like there's a lot of like censorship and like specific, like I would say outright attack against like, um, like black and indigenous POC and like queer people and trans people, um, on Instagram that I think is like really, really repugnant and awful. Um, but that said, like there is a lot of connection. I mean, it's how I found out about your podcast right. and stuff. Exactly. like there's a lot of valuable nice things. That, yeah. 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 There's so much nice stuff that has come through it also. Um, people can find out about my work there as well. Um, and like, I, you know, I have, um, a group of people that run this amazing small publishing, um, and print art company called arts and crafts, um, run by Jessica Jeezy angel and, um, who puts out like some of my work, like my poetry work and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, my band is called dimmer D I M B E R. Um, which is like a, a word that's not used anymore in common parlance, but has like a lot of cool, um, it's like an ungendered noun that has like mask femme association stuff. And it's really cool. That's where we got it from. But that's like the band that I put most of my energy into and stuff. So people can check out Dimmer. Also, um, we're in the process of recording like our first big full length record, but we have a few EPs and stuff out right now. So that's cool. Um, okay. I have my hands in a lot of stuff right now um and it feels a little overwhelming but it all feels like um it's really centered on these like specific ideas that they sort of all um like compound each other and build each other up mm -hmm. and it's really feels really nice to find myself seeing the through lines as you put between like my dance practice and my band and my like visual and like word-based art all of it sort of like centering not so much always on identity politics, but just like um, a very like specific, like politicized angle of like, I think the gist of it is just that like, we could all do better all the time, all of us, even if it's just little things. And like, that's like sort of the mantra and the theory that I feel like is like informing a lot of my work is just like, how do we check ourselves and like, constantly do the work when we have the emotional capacity for it to like see how we're part of this like system that is like pretty nasty and oppressive to a lot of people and not in line with like my what I find to be like empowering and like love based and stuff and um that like every little thing we can do is like a huge huge thing because sometimes it's so easy to feel powerless as again, like one person against the flux, against the whole like systemic, like just awful, awful thing that feels to me like the weight of the world on us sometimes. And I think it's easy to like fall into despair, especially as like marginalized folk. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, but then like acknowledging like where we're complicit in like supporting these systems and like where we have access. Like I like to talk a lot about like, yeah, like I have all of this like identity tied into being a trans person, being an intersex person, but like, I'm also white and like white people need to like step up and acknowledge like all the ways in which we support white supremacy all the time. And, um, yeah, so like all, it feels good to have like all of the work kind of like building on itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
like we have a dim, I have a dimmer song about Amelia and Pony Sweat. Amazing. And like we've danced, we've danced in Pony Sweat to like dimmer me. Like it all sort of like is going back on itself. And that feels really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, CJ, thank you. I yeah. would love to talk for, like, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I feel like it's the beginning of many conversations, but I really, it's been so nice to kind of get to know you and hear about your journey and your process and the stuff, the really cool stuff that you're involved in. And I, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Asher. I really appreciate you too. And I really like love all the work that you're doing as well. So like, thank you. Just one more like avenue for us to like build each other up. So I really appreciate everything you do as well. And for making space for, um, for all of us to like have a voice is really nice. So, um, and I really like your voice as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Okay.